the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-hoo! And that's exactly how I feel because we're halfway now. We are closer than we were on Monday to Friday, and that is always a good thing. And good morning to you. The Dave Ellswick Show with you here on 101.1 FM. The answer, Jimmy Cavan sitting right across from me and on the, telef- on the telephone somewhere in Arkansas. Now, he's not fishing today. He did that Saturday, from what I understand, with Carlton Wing. What are, what are you, where are you in uh, in uh, our illustrious state, uh, Congressman. Well, Dave, it's good to be with you. Good morning. I flew up to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska last night to speak this morning at a financial technology conference at the University of Nebraska here in Lincoln with uh, my colleague, Representative Mike Flood, who represents this part of Nebraska. And then I'm going to turn around and fly back home to sleep in my own bed tonight. Well, that makes sense. Now, when you walk out this morning, take a deep breath of that country air out there. It's a little cooler, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Not only that, but there's a whole lot of cows around that area. There there are, and uh, they are absolutely concerned about the methane they release. Let you they are. Let me go on record saying I am pro-cow. Yeah, so yeah. am I. Pro-cow on my plate. Last night. It was outstanding. Yeah, you can get some good steaks up there, no doubt about that. All right, so let's start it off today, Congressman. Uh, the big story that uh, is going on this morning, and it's not Trump. Trump's a big story, but it's not the biggest story. The biggest story is that uh, Hunter Biden's friend uh, testified behind closed doors to Congress folks uh, on uh, the committee up there about what he knew uh, that uh, the, that Hunter was doing and that the president was doing. Now, I've seen stories kind of floating around saying that this is going to made pub- be made public uh, to the American people. Do you have any idea when that's going to be? I don't. That'll be up to uh, Chairman Comer and the committee as they gather evidence. But I have no doubt they'll be making their whole record uh, public. They're trying to ascertain, has Joe Biden been uh, truthful that he was not involved with Hunter Biden's businesses, that he wasn't engaged in Hunter Biden's business? And, of course, this closed-door testimony, as as reported, uh, already threw uh, a curveball to that uh, position of President Biden because uh, he acknowledges now, oh, well, maybe I was on the uh, listen to the phone calls, but it was only just to talk about, you know, how's the weather? Yeah, and yeah. So, uh, and so that's the kind of work that Comer's doing, and it's based on these uh, FBI documented whistleblowers. It's uh, stuff that we have not heard or seen before. 
So Comer and the committee, I know, will do an outstanding job getting to the bottom of it. And as Kevin McCarthy has said on all this, look, we're using a methodical, careful approach, not the approach of Adam Schiff and the madness that Pelosi unleashed during the Trump administration. And we'll follow the evidence. And we're going to do that on the border with Mayorkas and the Homeland Security Committee. We're going to do that as we try to reform the FBI over the next few months uh, using the uh, Weaponization Committee in the judiciary. So, uh, boy, we've tried to approach this right. We think that's what the American people want. And uh, Comer's a, you know, a careful, patient guy. Yeah, sometime I'm going to have you ask if he'll please, because he joined us a few months back. And maybe yeah, if he's got a little time, he'd do it I'll again. Be, yeah. I will put that on my list. I know he'd want to do it. I think it'd be a chance for you to just ask your questions uh, directly, and so I'll I'll follow up on with you on that. All right. Well, let, let me ask you: What do you think about what you're hearing? Are are you becoming more and more concerned about uh, impeachable offenses, high crimes, and misdemeanors? You know, I, we get a report every week on what the committee is doing, and I think what I'm pleased about is that we've met the obligation we had to the American people, which was uh, we wanted to be fair about this, and we felt like uh, voters in the 2020 elections had had the whole Hunter Biden and the Hunter Biden story suppressed uh, by the media, despite, I think, Tucker Carlson's, you know, quite significant interview a few weeks before the election. And so we're going to get to the bottom of it. And so I can't tell you how it's going to turn out. But I can tell you, I like the work that Comer is doing and the methodology that he's following. Congressman, and I agree, I think it's got to be methodical. I think it can't be haphazard like the Democrats did. And that when, if you get to impeachment, you want it locked down. You want it nailed down before you get there. But there, the other reality is people get anxious because midterms come. And yep. they say, hey, there's a limited amount of time unless you hold the House and what kind of pressure does Congress feel on that from from certain folks or from people in the public that go, look, uh, you know, there's a there's a time clock here. Can we get this yeah. done? No, that's a good point, Jimmy, and I, I don't disagree with that. Everything we do in the Congress, uh, everything we tackle is is connected to the fact that we know we each serve a two year term. So matter no matter what project you're working on. You're doing it working backwards from ending your work before the end of the Congress. So I know those staff members on the uh, Oversight Committee and the members uh, know the time clock is pushing and that they're working overtime to uh, reach their conclusion. They also know that everything they do is perceived as 100% political because uh, we're moving into a presidential election year. So you've got all that sensitivity uh to it and you can imagine they're working diligently as a result of both those things i, th I think the one of the things that i go to is the worst thing to do is go there if you don't have it and right well this is this is you know let's just take a page from pelosi herself she says we should never impeach a president unless we have an ironclad case and that it's bipartisan well uh you know she started down that road and she didn't have an ironclad case. She had a no. very superficial political case, just uh, people who don't like Trump, and, you know, there's, I got it. But And she sort of broke her own rule due to just the, the mania of the time. And 
that was a lesson learned, I think, back during the Bill Clinton, you know, impeachment. This has all been unleashed uh, back and forth between the two political parties. Uh, so that's why we also want to have think about that. If you were the chairman of the Judiciary Committee or the Oversight Committee, you've got that weight too to get this back into that right approach. That it's an overwhelming case. It's completely uh, obvious, and that. Uh, you've got a strong case and bipartisan support. That should always be the goal there. Yeah, it's, it's, this it's kind of rem- the, yeah. it kind of reminds me, Congressman, of uh, the Battle of the Titan movie that came out several years ago. Release the Kraken, you know, <laughs> you know except it's release impeachment. What do you yeah. think about the president? Where does he sit now? Pre- and I'm talking about President Trump, of course. Yeah, well, I think this indictment is, I haven't read it. Uh, I want to do that today. Uh, you know, it's it's a sad, sad day to me. I mean, January 6th was a horrible day, and uh, Trump did not act appropriately on January 6th, in my view. And the question is, though, when you indict him, is that he's, is he in a conspiracy to commit a crime? And that's what I want to read their case. I, I don't know what they say that's different than what we already know and that we even knew then that he was dilatory, uh, you know, in acting on that day to stop it. Yeah. Uh, that he, uh, you know, uh, misled the American people about the election and the ability to overturn the election on the 6th and that he uh, potentially put the whole Congress and um uh, vice president in a in a dangerous position, but the question is, did he conspire to do that? You know, with the uh, Proud Boys and others who did go to that day, you know, prepared to commit violent acts. So, I want to read it, but it's just another chapter in a in a horrible situation that it should have never taken place. And uh, I don't know. I think it's. It's a, it's, it's like I say, it's a, it's a sad day on top of everything else that President Trump is dealing with on how he handled classified information, which is, as you and I talked weeks ago, this is a problem created by President Trump, made worse by his actions around it. So um, we'll have to see where this leads. All right. Now he said that he'll he'll carry on his his push to be, get the nomination from prison if necessary. Do words like that bother you? Yep, it does. I think it makes it, uh, it uh, cheapens the, the office of the presidency, and it, it's, it's all about, um, you know, the, the president and his own uh, frustration with this situation. And what about the country? What about uh, splitting citizens? What about not bringing the, the country together? Um, what about doing what's in the best interest of the country, uh, standing up for the rule of law? All those things are, are brought to mind. And it's that's why it's just it's, it's sad and frustrating to me. I don't know what the right answer for him. He has to make that answer. But, I mean, this is the kind of thing that it's, um, it's not good for our country. All right. We'll come back. We'll finish up our conversation. We're talking to Congressman French Hill. District 2, he is in Lincoln, Nebraska, eating good steak up there. I'm just telling you, you get a good steak up in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll talk to him about the president who's serving right now in a decision that he's made that makes me scratch my head, but he does that just about every day anymore. So 
We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get with the congressman and talk to him about China and what the president has just said here yesterday. Don't forget about PI Roofing. PI Roofing wants to fix your roof and get it done. They know that you, a lot of you have been waiting now for weeks to get your roofs fixed because of the tornado. Uh, they've got everybody in line. They're, they're working as hard and as quickly as they can in really debilitating heat. They're doing a lot of roofs uh, because of this uh, action of the tornadoes we've had. And then the straight line winds that came in after that. So uh, have a little bit more patience. Know that when PI Roofing gets to your home, you're going to have the best roof put on your house that uh, your money's going to pay for and the materials that you're buying are going to be going on your roof where you should only have to put one more roof on your house and that's the one that you're going to put on uh, now with PI Roofing. Go visit them the way I do. Pick up the phone, call 501-707-3115, and tell them, you know, hey, Dave Ellswick has been talking about you for over 20 years. Thought I'd give you a shot. Uh, they'll come out, give you uh, what the cost is going to do be to take care of it. They'll talk to your insurance company. They'll give you a little card like I've got sitting right here in my uh, uh, studio. It says PI Roofing and Construction, your roof leak detectives, and it's got 14 points on it about how to get your roof fixed of your house. Give them a call today or go online and talk to them at piroofing.com. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, we've got Congressman French Hill, District 2, on with us. He is out of the state right now. He's up in Lincoln, Nebraska. He's coming back to the state later on uh, today. Uh, as he likes to put it, I want to sleep in my own bed. He'll get his chance to do that a little later on. Let's uh, Yesterday, the president said that he wants to ease China sanctions for reductions in their production of the precursors for fentanyl good policy bad policy congressman well with all these authoritarian governments whether you're talking about uh, syria or iran or russia or china when it comes to giving them any break on something that we've imposed sanction wise you know actions speak louder than words uh they've never agreed to really stop producing uh, some of these precursors, as you know, some of these precursors go into other legitimate things. And so they always say, oh, gosh, we can't do that. You know, we, we sell this around the world. So I'd want to see exactly what the inspection regime is, how they're cooperating with American customs and law enforcement people before we do any sanctions relief. And I would want the sanctions relief connected to the drug trade, not trade yeah. or something else. And because we have... Uh, sanctions that are imposed related to on people and things related to the drug trade. Let's not mix our messages. Yeah, I I just don't understand why he thinks that he can sit down and negotiate with the Chinese anymore. The Chinese have shown, Congressman, they're not interested in negotiating in good faith. They proved it. Yep, we're in a phase where that's exactly the case. And we need to be in a phase where we have the rest of the world united with us uh, to counter their malevolent activity and look for things where we can collaborate together on an equal basis. Fentanyl is actually probably one of them, uh, but 
I don't think we should do sanction relief connected to it until we see real uh, evidence of actions being taken, and that includes other third countries. China will say, oh, yeah, we're not going to do that, and then they'll transfer it to another country who sends it to Mexico and say, no, we're not involved in it. This is the kind of deception we see in uh, by them in other aspects of trade when they try to get around uh, sanctions. They'll say, we don't export. We don't dump steel out of China, uh, and then they'll they'll trade it to Vietnam, and Vietnam or some other country will sell it to Canada, who will sell it to the U.S. So that's why this is a tricky business. I would be very cautious about sanctions relief on any topic with China without action. Congressman, when I first saw this, I immediately thought of the Sopranos, because the mafia, <laughs> honestly, because the mafia was famous for, for selling you protection from them. Right. And this is what this sounds like from a public yep. perspective. And kind of elaborate on that. I'm not trying to be funny, but that's exactly what it sounded like. We're going to pay them for protection of us against them. Yeah, I mean, this is how perverted this situation is. It is true that a substantial amount of drug precursors are made in in China, including those that are connected to the fentanyl trade. And so they have essentially a monopoly. And uh, uh, how do you how do you get somebody compel somebody to do the right thing there? They just need to do the right thing. They need to recognize this is a global crisis, and but it is complicated, and they will be deceptive, and they will say they're complying when they're not. Well, and, when you pay uh, you pay a ransom, and it sounds like me, we're paying a ransom, and we're not going to get our kid back. Yeah. Well, this is the case over and over again. It's the same thing is going on in Iran right now on. Uh, we need our money or, you know, we're going to turn all the lights out in Iraq. I mean, this is just how authoritarian or people operate. And, you know, you're right. They work, they operate like a crime family, and that's because they're an authoritarian dictatorship. I fired off a story uh, to Miss um, Netherton uh, there in Washington. I don't know if you had a chance to see it or not, about this new hate crime law that's in Michigan it really concerns me now because they fi- they say that if you can find, uh, if they can find that you've been speaking hate speech to the LGBTQ community, they can give you five years in prison and a ten thousand dollar fine. Now, yeah, I didn't I didn't see that story. I guess because I was I was traveling, but uh, you know, again, the we have to be careful to expand rules like that that are not measurable and are not something that you know can be judged fairly and uh you've got to be consistent with uh, freedom of speech and is there what's the intent and that's why we're so cautious about things like that in this society and why we tie a lot of this back to the federal statutes on civil rights and immutable, you know, immutable characteristics. And, and that's why these laws are so controversial when they get passed. So I'd be, again, I think that's uh, something that could be really misused. And therefore, you're going to create more uh, societal difficulty if you're not careful. Well, Congressman, we'll let you get on with your day. I will remind you that in Lincoln, they really have great steak and eggs. Uh, headed downstairs exactly for that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have a good day. Thank you very much. Week. Have a good day. Sure. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. We've got Congressman uh, Westerman with us, Bruce Westerman. He has joined us. And uh, where are you here in the in the state, uh, Congressman? 
Well, Dave, I'm on my porch right now getting ready to head out and go to later this morning. Well, great. You might, you might hear the birds in the background. I'm trying to enjoy a little bit of the outdoors before it gets unbearable today. Yeah, that's true. I was just We were just talking to, to Congressman Hill. He's in Lincoln, Nebraska, enjoying steak and eggs right now. <laughs> well, that's a good thing to be doing. Yeah, I agree. It sounds good to me. Hey, first thing I want to talk to you, I, I brought this up on my show, and I know the bottom of my heart, no other talk show hosts in America mentioned this yesterday. But a big thing happened yesterday in the United States. The first time in 30 years that a nuclear reactor built from scratch was started, this one in Georgia, and uh, will be able to power half a million homes and businesses. That's the kind of stuff that you like to hear, I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, ironically, Dave, I visited that site right after I got elected, and they were building that reactor, Mm -hmm. and they had a lot of work done on it back then, so this was seven, eight years ago, and the fact that they're just starting it up now should should tell you something. Um, I remember, you know, having an engineering background, we were there where they they were pouring the concrete for the reactor. And they had two-inch diameter rebars at six inches on center, both ways, with multiple layers of rebar. And some federal inspector had come out and found a piece of rebar that was off a quarter of an inch or something. I mean, it was, from an engineering standpoint, it was pretty insignificant. And they had to demolish the whole thing and build it over. Um, and it's just unbelievable the types of regulations and uh, oversight that the federal government puts on nuclear energy and the fact is that you've got a facility that took uh, over a decade to build it now we were just to be building them yeah we were just talking about that during the break that uh, it's going to cost 35 billion dollars basically for this uh, this uh, reactor and they said maybe other companies will will shy away from wanting to build reactors because of the cost. Well, the reason they cost so much is because of the government. Yeah, it wasn't the cost of concrete and steel and labor that drove it up. It was regulatory costs that drove it up and dragging the the schedules out for so long. And, you know, there's a – you get to a point of diminishing returns on these regulations and and the – burdensome oversight and layers and layers that the federal government puts on not just nuclear reactor projects but basically everything they have their their finger in and it's not bringing any benefit to the public it's not making the reactors any safer Um, you know they may claim that it is just because they spent a lot of money and uh, a lot of time and forced a lot of unnecessary effort but at the end of the day it's really pretty asinine the way that um, the federal government gets involved in a lot of these uh, projects. That's, I think I've told you that when, when we were talking about the permitting debate, uh, that uh, the last runway at the Atlanta airport took 11 years to build it, took uh, nine and a half years to permit it and a year and a half to build it. And that's just the runway at an airport. So think about um, all the the permitting and everything that had to take place in Georgia before they ever even started building that project. And that's why you don't see more nuclear power plants announced because um, 
that I think that project was originally supposed to cost between ten and fifteen billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So now it's a, a thirty-five billion dollar project, and who's going to pick up the cost? Well, the, 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 the customers there. are. I think I I read that customers to get nuclear power. Of course, they're going to shut down a lot of the other stuff that they got. You get a cleaner environment, I guess, because of this. It's going to cost them probably uh, about $14 more per month because of this. I mean, they've got a lot of people down in that area, so, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of money coming in. But still, we shouldn't have to be paying that money. We should be We should be doing everything we can right now to move that way if they're really – if the greenies are really – set on wanting to have this green new deal this is the way to get to it really quick yeah and also if they can drive up the cost of every other form of electricity it makes solar and wind look that much more right um, economically viable Uh, there's no reason that plant should have cost 35 billion dollars oh i'm with you uh, we we should be able to build nuclear power plants and gas power plants and energy distribution systems for a lot less money if the goal was people everybody working together to make sure that we were energy dominant in the u.s and not um afraid of our shadow and scared to produce more energy and and you're worried about what the what al gore and his globalist friends are going to think uh and it's um you know it's exciting that, that we finally opened a new nuclear power plant i'm going up next week to tour uh the nuclear power plant at Russellville, which will be uh, it's 50 years old now. And um, actually, those uh, units up there are getting close to their ex- uh, end of expected life. Uh, but I know there's a lot of efforts to keep them going and operating. Uh, so even the, the power, existing nuclear power that we've got are uh, across the country. Those units are all getting close to the projected uh, life expectancy for them. Uh, so you, you could see a scenario where we start closing down nuclear power plants that we've already got up and operating. Uh, Congressman, when we when we use the word nuclear, a lot of people in the public, it, they almost, boy, they put the brakes on really quick because of the fear of using uh, the nuclear technology. And times have changed from when there was a legitimate fear there what has changed as far as safety as far as nuclear power and how much more uh safer is it now and what safeguards do they have so the people to ease the people's minds on that well if you look at where there's been incidences it's with the cooling system and these uh these this generation nuclear power plants they circulate huge amounts of water over the the nuclear reactor core it obviously heats that water and makes steam and produces electricity uh and you know the i guess the last incident was fukushima they had the um the typhoon caused by an earth or of the i guess it was a tidal wave caused by an earthquake and it knocked out their cooling system so if you can't circulate water around the core the core overheats but what the scientist has come up with now is not a a water cooled core, but a uh, a molten salt that is solid until the core heats up, and then it liquefies and it's it's internally circulated and cooled. And if the if the plant shuts down, the 
core cools with the plant so it doesn't uh, you don't have this issue with uh, having a water system and a backup water cooling system and problems with that but we haven't built any of those reactors yet uh, because of the regulatory process but you can you can also build these as small modular reactors so instead of building a you know a massive you know 500 or thousand uh, megawatt plant or, or larger you can build smaller facilities and locate them uh, in more areas and have more distributed power and it doesn't put all the pressure on your grid where you've got to build a lot more grid out so there's um, there's all kinds of benefits if we would actually take the the knowledge that we have on nuclear power and apply it going forward and really it's a pop dream to think you're going to offset coal and oil and gas with wind and solar when you look at it on the, the global scale uh, wind and solar is just a, a fraction of the of the total production like over um, 85% of the world's energy is still produced by uh, coal, oil, and gas. And you also get into the issue of you've got to have something that can um, fill in the peaks and that can modulate, which wind and solar can't. They actually make it harder because they're constantly changing when they're putting power on the grid. So um, we've got to get the political scientists out of the way and get the actual scientists and that can solve the energy problem and we could solve it pretty easily because we're blessed with all kinds of resources here including uh, uranium and the uh, the technology to make um, solid core small nuclear reactors yeah last question about this subject and we'll take a break and that's the whole thing with breeder reactors and and destroying a, a lot of this uh, leftover uranium and stuff from these reactors it's not the way it used to be where you had, you know, hundreds of pounds of this stuff that you wanted to stick up somewhere in the Yucca Mountains of of uh, Nevada. Is that not correct? Yeah, well, there's a lot of uh, nuclear material that's being stored at the, the nuclear power plants. But another thing about the, the new technology, you can take those spent, the spent nuclear fuel and reuse that, um, and it also breaks the the radioactivity down and decreases the half-life so that you don't have as long of a, a storage issue. Now, that, that's also where you get into the uh, enriched weapons-grade stuff when you start reusing it over and over. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, the numbers I've heard, I believe there's still like 85 to 90 percent of the energy in the spent nuclear fuel that wasn't taken out uh, while it was in the nuclear reactor. But there's a um, it's almost like you got enough spent fuel out there that if you'd use the new technology, you could uh, generate a lot more energy without even having to have uh, as much uh, more fuel, which unfortunately we're getting most of our uranium from uh, from Russia and Kazakhstan, which is just an extension of Russia right now. We, mm-hmm. we produce less than one half, one half percent of the nuclear fuel that we use is produced in the United States. All right. We're talking with Congressman Westerman. We're going to continue our discussion and finish it up. When we come back, don't forget about East End Towing. No matter why you're on the side of the road, it could be that, you know, your car just stopped. could be your transmission fell out of the bottom of your car. could be you got a flat tire. Whatever it is, 
You call East End Towing. They know how to handle that situation. They'll handle it for you, get you off of the side of the road. And it doesn't matter what size car you got. You could have a little two-seater environmentally friendly car or... You could have an 18-wheeler that you you know, have your bed in right there behind you, the steering wheel that you, you live most of your life in. You can have all of those things, and the folks at East End Towing have the equipment to handle them, and they've got the expertise to handle your problem. All you have to do is call East End Towing at 501-888-8849. No, that's the number I call. 501-888-8849, anything, anytime, anywhere, East End Towing. All right, back with uh, the congressman, Congressman Westerman, 4th District. He's sitting out on his porch right now getting ready to get to do what he's got to do today before it gets too blazing hot out there. Let me ask you what you thought of the uh, uh, material you've heard from Biden's uh, friend and what he had to say about uh, the president and how he is involved in the business dealings. Yeah, I haven't looked into that in uh, great detail, but I was I was hearing some stuff about what he was going to say before uh, uh, before I left D.C. last week. And it sounds to me like it's it's very incriminating, but I've, I've gotten to the point where I'll hear this information and think, oh, this is going to be the thing where the national press just really latches onto it. And, and they're going to, um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the justice department to do something. Uh, but it's almost like nothing seems to matter to the national media or to the justice department. But this seems like a pretty credible source with some, some damning information for, uh, Hunter and the big guy. Yeah, I, I got you. I, I got you, and I would agree agree with you on that, Congressman. By contrast to that, we're hearing a lot about Hunter Biden, but here we go once again. Another week comes, and there's another indictment on Trump, and basically this latest one. Let's just boil it down to it's basically indicting, trying to indict him for treason. Uh, give us your take on that and what you're hearing on it. Well, it's a. Uh, it appears to be a double standard of justice. Imagine if if the Justice Department had on Don Trump Jr. or Ivanka or any of the kids what they've got on Hunter Biden with credible sources and also bank deposits and money trails showing money coming into a bunch of LLCs that gets distributed to the Biden family. Uh, they have, like, nothing remotely close to that on the, the Trump family, yet I, I've lost count of how many indictments they've done on Trump. Yeah. Um, you, know, you think if you, get a, if you get a 10 to 1 ratio, you, you'd be, uh, <laughs> be better, but it's yeah. like if, uh, if Do you're... You... Uh, Oh, go ahead. Do, do you think the American people are are tired of this as far as the, the continued announcements on indictment? Is, is this going to come back to backfire on the Democratic Party? You would think so, but it, it never seems to happen. It's like that, um, you know, it's like when you're going against Democrats, you're going with both hands tied behind your back, and you've still probably got an advantage over them. But... Um, it's like the whole system's wired to help the liberal elite. I think and we've got to get that changed. What do you think about independents, though? The, those very important independents. Do you think they're getting 
sick of this just constant, constant attack on Trump uh, with hardly any evidence? Yeah, I, I heard it last night. I was and yesterday. I was down in Southwest Arkansas, and you know, people had the the same questions, and they're like, "When is this going to stop?" It's it's almost like I think people wish we could just you know erase the board and start over right now, and and just have a reset. And uh, um, you know, the, you got when you got the the old gray lady and the Washington Compost and the liberal media um, folks out there they just continue to um, push whatever narrative seems to benefit their liberal, liberal benefactors. Um, I think the general public sees that and they will, um, I, I think they'll rise up. I think that's what happened in 2016. And if you ask me, people are more upset right now than they were in 2016. All right, last question for you, and uh, goes back to another story yesterday. The president uh, making statements that uh, he was going to uh, cut uh, uh, trade with China and things if if they don't uh, control uh, this distribution of fentanyl precursors and everything. Uh, we were talking with uh, uh, Hill about this, and... Uh, Jimmy said it's like working with the mafia. You know, you you pay, you pay them protection money and you don't get your, your nephew back or whatever. What do you think about what the president's trying to do? Oh, he, he, he's a real tough guy, isn't he? You know, tough, real tough <laughs> Joe. He's coming down on the on China. We've seen his track record on that. Um, it's so ridiculous. I don't even pay much attention to what he says on things like that. Uh, because you you look at the big picture, and you see he's been totally soft on China, uh, totally soft on Russia and and OPEC. You know he goes to OPEC and asks them to send us more oil uh, while he's trying to shut down oil and gas production here in the U.S. So mm-hmm. uh, what you see is what you get with with Joe, and don't pay a lot of attention to what he says. All right. Well, if you get a chance and you're while you're here in the state, if you can come on by the studio, do so. We we should have the cameras running and, and going again by next week, so we look forward to having you here. But uh, you have a good day today and try to stay cool. You too, Dave. You and Jimmy have a have a nice cool day indoors, and uh, I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, we will do so. All right, thank you very much, Congress Congressman Bruce Westerman, Fourth uh, District week gotta love it when you get halfway through the week we're on the downhill instead of the uphill we are uh, you know on this side of friday now that's what i like about wednesday as we get prepared for the weekend slowly but surely here on the dave ellswick show uh don't forget tomorrow bumper to bumper is going to be on with us um i had asked nick uh horton to join us uh, uh and i don't know if he's going to be able to be with us or not with uh uh, uh, Opportunity Arkansas. I'm hoping that he'll join us tomorrow. Friday, Robert uh, is going to be on. Robert, of course, is a, uh, the local law uh, professor over at uh, the Bowen School of Law. Chris Corbett looks like he'll be on. And then Matt Smith will be on 
And then we'll be off in the next couple of weeks. We'll but we'll talk about movies. Good lineups coming. Oh, Nick, yeah. Nick we got a lot. Robert and Chris is hilarious. Well, and, we uh, we got a lot that we that, that we got to deal with. We got a lot to deal with today. Uh, one of the things that we have been talking about is the Arkansas uh, IG, you know, our, our inspector general, basically. It's really our, our, our attorney, attorney general. general right. But the bottom line he wanting to have a a group of people that he put together to uh, meet secretly to tell us why we need to change FOIA, which is all about transparency, which to my thoughts is kind of a silly way of doing things. But, you know, it's kind of a Monty Python, you know, Monty Python way of doing things with, uh, you know, the. The funny, the funny walks and all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. That's what I think about having uh, uh, secret, secret meetings to talk about transparency. Yeah, that just <laughs> doesn't quite does. Yeah, it? I wish I was streaming right now because you would have seen my face on that yeah. one because it doesn't make any sense no, whatsoever. Especially when we already have. Yeah, a let's talk. We've got a task force already. Why do you need another one? And and let's let's try to answer that question here. Over the next few minutes, and you've brought in somebody very uh, special for us on this. Yeah, Rob Moritz is the <clears throat> chairman of the Arkansas Freedom of Information Task Force, and that task force was actually created by the state legislature. <clears throat> excuse me, in 2017, and it's actually by law. It's Arkansas Code 2519.11. And uh, it was created for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, and approving amendments in, uh, to this chapter. This no, is in the read, law. read those words again. It was it was put together to do what? Yeah, th- this is the actual law, and it says this is created the Arkansas Freedom of Information Task Force for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, and approving proposed amendments to this chapter. In other words, in other words, how do, for you. how do you make it better? Right? Yes. Okay. Now, isn't that what the Arkansas Attorney General said? He wants to get a group together to tell him how we can make FOIA better? Yes, and and I made the point in uh, in an article in a post I did the other day that he's that he's out of his lane. He's out of his lane. That's not his deal. The legislature's already already done that with the task force. But before we get Robin, I'm going to make the point that the. The task force did its job at the last legislative session as far as the big bill that was going to gut for you. The task force met on it, even though the sponsors of the bill didn't come to them. Yeah, David Ray and uh, And Brian Davis. Davis. Uh, The task force met on it, discussed it. I was part of that meeting because unlike Tim's 40 work group, the task force meets publicly. Everybody can attend it. And so they met on it. They not only voted unanimously to not approve it or endorse it, they took the extra step to publicly denounce it. So when uh, Representative Ray presented the bill in committee, uh, Attorney General Tim Griffin sent his staff to present with Ray and basically co-present the bill. Well, committee didn't go for it, so when the legislative gets session, gets done what the ag basically does says you know what it didn't go my way you guys don't agree with me so i'm just going to create my own 
working group. Well, that's today. what he's doing. And by the way, we're going to meet in secret, and not be public. Which is there's a lot to talk about that later. That that I've done the research on. I sent some foyers to him, and that's a whole other issue we'll talk about. But we've got Rob, who's the uh, the chair of the task force on, and so Rob, uh, man, we're glad to have you on. Jump in here and kind of tell us. You know, your take is that what's the role of the task force? Let's start with that. Hey, uh, Jimmy, uh, thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, the role of the task force is basically to review and and either um, endorse or not endorse proposed amendments and bills we, uh, dealing with the FOI. The task force does not consider the bill as a whole just a proposed amendment. And, and as you said, it was created back in the 2017 uh, legislative session when during the session there were like 50 or more proposed amendments to the uh, state's Freedom Information Act. Uh, lawmakers did not know how to consider these, and every time one of these um, uh, proposed amendments came up in a bill in a committee, a lot of people would attend uh, from across the board, attorneys, um, uh, uh, individuals, um, media groups, representatives, and, and speak for or against the proposed amendment to the FOI. Um, and because they didn't know and the meetings were going so long, they decided to create this um, task force just to review the um, proposed amendment. So what we've been doing, and I was appointed uh, by uh, then Senate Pro Tem uh, Jonathan Dismang uh, to your term, and I was reappointed by um, – actually four-year term, and then I was reappointed by um, uh, Senator um, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hickey, pro tem Senator Jimmy Hickey. See, I was a, I'm the appointee of the Senate pro tem, nine members of the task force, and during the session what we do is we meet whenever bills are filed and they include amendments to the um, FOI. Um, we set up a meeting. Uh, originally they were in person, but since COVID they've been on, um, on Zoom, they're open to the public. Anybody can attend. We uh, we open up the floor for anybody to speak for or against the amendments, not the bill. We we don't want to discuss the merits of the bill as a whole. Then we just make recommendations for the um, the proposed amendments to the FOI. And then, of course, when these bills go to committee, uh, the committee chairman will theoretically ask the sponsor of the bill to set the FOI uh, amendment. What did the task force suggest? And then they can use that when gauging and discussing the bill as a whole. So and that's basically what we do. So bottom line, the state Senate looks to you to help have well, give them guidance on, on this material, correct? Well, uh, yes, but I was appointed by the Senate pro tem. There are nine members of the task force, and it's a broad uh, range of groups who get to appoint members. I was appointed by the um, Senate pro tem. We have somebody that was appointed by the governor, somebody that was appointed by the um, Arkansas Press Association, somebody appointed by the Arkansas Freedom of Information Coalition, somebody that was appointed by the Arkansas Pro Chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists, somebody appointed by Arkansas Broadcasters Association, uh, Association of Arkansas Counties, Arkansas Municipal League, um, and that's how we, we kind of came together. I will say that Representative Percy, uh, Percy Hickerson <clears throat> was originally appointed by the um, House Speaker, but she declined to be reappointed. 
she said she was going to retire. She had other things to do after her four years. And the House Speaker never appointed anybody to fill her position. So in this past legislative session, we only had eight members. Uh, So, yeah, but the bottom line is these various groups are appointed. We meet, and then we make recommendations to House and Senate committees. The people who are filing the bills then kind of know the direction or what the thoughts are of, and this group is people who are affected by the FOI on a, on a daily basis. All right, so let me cut to the chase here. What do you think about what the uh, the Attorney General is trying to do? Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, um, there are some things that need to be possibly updated. When he uses the word modernizing, I, I don't necessarily agree with that because since, uh, 2000, 2001, there have been uh, amendments to the FOI dealing with um, um, uh, digital records. There have been amendments dealing with um, uh, phone calls, uh, cell phones, things like that. I think, um, and also there does need to be ultimately a definition for a meeting because the um, FOIs kind of oh, vague and the courts have said in uh, previous rulings that really the legislation needs to come up with a definition of what is a meeting because a meeting is is a big part of the FOI and the transparency of meetings. Yeah, I got I you on that. Problem. I don't have any problem with him wanting to look at, at it. Um, I, I'm a little bit leery of the makeup of the committee, but, you know, that's – but the, the big thing is, is that this is this his wanting – not wanting to make it a, a open meeting. I think it's kind of – Strange that when you're dealing with the uh, public records and public meetings law, that you want to do it behind closed doors. And yeah, that you're that you're talking about a law that deals with transparency, and you want to do it behind closed doors. That's kind of silly. Yeah. Well, I I, I don't. I that's my thought on it. Uh, probably he doesn't want the outside interference. I don't know. Um, it's just a very odd thing. To, to want to do it behind closed doors. I can, I can jump in and say this. The the task force that Rob is the chairman of, you know, the format is so great because anybody can attend the meeting, and what the task force does is that there's a section where they say, hey, anybody want input? So, of course, Jimmy Cavan will give his input. Uh, other people give their input. Uh, average citizens like myself go to this. And the task force does a really good job of listening to everyone. And as Rob will tell you, the great thing is there's uh, people keep it professional, but there's great passion involved oh, with a lot of people in, in this. But the task force does a really great job of listening to everybody's input. And then when they have their discussion and debate about whether they want to endorse this amendment or their feelings on it they have a really solid discussion key thing is they do it in public and it's recorded so everybody can see it and 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 we don't we don't all agree i mean we've got somebody who represents the uh, municipal league somebody who's appointed by the uh, association of arkansas counties um we have somebody appointed by you know the governor so we we come at it from all different angles and then you've got incredibly talented or great minds who just work with the FOI all the time, like uh, Robert Steinbuck and uh, John Tall, mm-hmm. who um, 
who really, I mean, those guys are way out of my league when it comes to um, um, knowing the ins and outs of the FOI. I know it more of a practical use. I spent 30 years as a newspaper reporter and um, use it quite often. But then now I teach, and um, so I'm, I'm teaching a media law class, so I keep coming at it from a different angle. You know, Robert Steinbach wrote the, the history of the state FOI. Um, John Tall represents media uh, outlets, newspapers all over. Those guys are, are complete experts. But then we have a more of a, of a practical where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when you have um, um, uh, Will Gruber, uh, I think he actually has just left the task force. He announced he was going to leave, but he was the um, attorney for Saline County representing the um, uh, Association of Arkansas Counties. He saw it at a more, a very local level, what was going on, um, as well as others. So um, it's, it's just a, it's a great group. Don't always agree. Um, sometimes we all get passionate in what we're, how we look at things, learn things from other people, um, get their thoughts. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's not it, – if a while – we're all willing to admit the FOI is not perfect, and sometimes it does need to be changed. I remember when I covered the legislature right after 9-11, there was a bill that would um, um, exempt from the FOI uh, uh, um, safety mm-hmm. um, and information from um, city and municipal um, water uh, departments. So, because, you know, they didn't want anybody going to the FOI and asking for where's your, how do you, uh, you know, what do you do with your water? Where is it located and all that? You know, uh, prison plans are exempt from the FOI. You don't want somebody going down to a local county courthouse and finding the plans to a prison outside of town and then, you know, trying to figure out how to break out their loved one. Um, so there are things that need to be exempt, no doubt. Um, and and um, it's a 50-some-odd-year-old document, so it's always – there's always room for improvement and tweaks and change. All right, we're, um, going to, we're going to come back and talk more about this here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I, I just want to make sure they don't start throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk further about this here on the Dave Ellswick Show. With Dave Ellswick Show, Jimmy uh, Cavins here. Uh, we have spent a lot of time talking about uh, FOIA, and rightly so, because the best uh, government – is the most transparent government that you can have. I'm not saying we can make government completely transparent. I'm, I'm not stupid. I've been doing this for a long time. And I, I know that there's always going to be people who want to run around the rules, always want to run around the rules. That's why I've always said if we're going to have the state legislature pass rules, they should have teeth in them so that it makes the people that exactly. are supposed to be following those rules follow the rules. But let's get back and talking more about FOIA right now. And, Jimmy, you had some other questions. Well, I was going to get Rob to, to expand upon the, the task force's role in actually protecting FOIA and the intent of FOIA, which is to to grant the electors access to uh, the workings of government, it, and it's the intent that this information come to him. So, Rob, kind of expand on the task force roles in protecting that intent and enhancing that intent. Um, well, um, the, the bottom line is that 
the, under the FOI, Arkansas's FOI, and it is one of the, um, uh, the, the broadest in the country, if not the broadest in the country, um, just to, as a point, I, I went to a, um, a FOI coalition meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, four or five years ago, and their, um, their FOI bill, which was approved roughly the same time as in Arkansas, um, has been uh, amended and 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 three hundred times since uh, roughly three hundred times, and it really has little or no teeth. It really has little or no. Um, um, well, it's lost all of its um, uh, power. Well, let's um, let's stop and just say a good example of that is this this lady or a transgender person that went in and shot up that school and had written up a, 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 manifesto. a manifesto, and they still haven't released it. And uh, if this would, were Arkansas, we could have forced the police to release that. Yeah, that, it, that's, there's a lot, that's a little more nuanced because a lot of the information involving um, crimes and things like that is really, other than the um, opening, uh, the first page of a um, police report or the details, if it's under investigation, um, are, are generally exempt. That It would have to go to court and all that. But yes, there could have been an attempt to get that information released. Yes, no doubt. In Tennessee, there was an automatic, no, we're not going to release it. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what yeah. it was. It's like, hey, you ain't going to yeah. see it. Sorry. But what I wanted to say is, is that in Arkansas, everything's open. Meetings are open. Um, there are no, nothing bars the public from seeing documents. It's all open. And what the FOI does is that's where it starts. It's everything's open until you can prove to me that it fits, there, that there is something in the state FOI which it exempts it. Um, and so that's how, you, how the, the FOI is considered. It's, it's, everything's open until there is a... Um, um, uh, an amendment which refers to this issue and uh, or says that it is exempt. Okay, we're back with you. We're talking about FOIA. It's important that as we talk about FOIA that you understand all the different facets of FOIA when we talk about it. That's why we're talking about the FOIA task force that is already in place, put there by the state legislature and uh, why we supposedly need another FOIA task force from the AG, uh, it does not escape me that we don't need one. I don't know we why already we, got we one. already got one. So <laughs> let, me, let me turn it over to you, Jimmy. You had another question. Yeah, Rob, I want to try to expand on some about what happens because we saw at this legislative session uh, about when lawmakers kind of do an end-around the task force uh, senator kinhammer had senate bill 543 which dealt with which originally didn't deal with anything for, uh, for you it dealt with ethics for school board members which has nothing to do with for you but once we got to the end of the uh, session just all of a sudden something got slipped in really quick before it got voted on that nobody really knew about and it changed in in FOIA. There is rules on open meetings in what boards, councils, and corn courts can go into what's called executive session for, which is out of the public uh, in a closed session to discuss things. Uh, 
a an addition to this bill at the end got thrown in very quickly was changed and and added to what school boards can go into executive sessions for on litigation and settlements and have their attorneys in the executive session, which is a which is not allowed under Title Twenty Five, the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. But that proposal should have gone before the task force and had the task force given the opportunity to give their input on it, and it was never brought before the task force. So. Rob, talk to us about that, how, how the task force felt when this was kind of an end around uh, you guys, that you guys didn't even know anything about this until it had passed. Well, uh, you're right. We didn't know anything about it until it was passed, and neither did the you know, 30 or 40 other uh, groups and, and individuals that, that monitor uh, bills during the session to see whether they're going to propose any amendments dealing with the FOI. Um, and I, I, I think that this wasn't an, a, a surprise. This was in the bill. It was in the bill. It was filed late in the session. Um, it was it was couched as an ethics bill, as you said, for school board members. Uh, I think it was Section Three. Um, if you watch the, the go back and watch the community meeting, clearly the, the the school board association when presenting the bill mentioned a lot of ethics issues, how this bill would address a lot of ethics issues concerning school board members, never mentioned it. Um, so this was, as you said, a deliberate end around. It was not a surprise, though. It was in from the beginning, and it was, it was planned. Now, there's nothing in the legislation, there's nothing in uh, Act um, uh, 923 of 2017 which says that lawmakers who have a proposed amendment are required to go to the task force. Doesn't doesn't say that. Um, they can seek our advice if they want to. Um, and um, what we just, on the task force and other groups do, as I said, we go through to watch all the bills that are filed to try to determine which one have exemptions. You read um, the the Senate bill by. Uh, Senator um, Hammer, um, it doesn't say anything about the FOI. It just has in there one of the changes is to allow um, um, uh, attorneys into executive session. So um, if we're typing in um, the FOI, uh, typing in a search word or a keyword and a bills that have been filed, it didn't pop up. The other thing is it was filed so late in the session that everybody, as you know, you've been out of the legislature, they do this all the time. They try to cram a bunch of bills in late, and a lot of them go unread because lawmakers just don't have the time to read them. And the article in the Democrat Gazette a few weeks ago clearly um, quoted Senator um, Clark Tucker as saying he wouldn't have voted for the bill if he'd known that was in it. Now, that means he didn't read the bill, as did none of the other FOI supporters in the legislature, because it got almost unanimous approval in both the House and the Senate. It's nothing that we can only, the task force can only do so much. Um, we're not paid. We don't get per diem. We, it's all in our time. Um, we, we try to reach out to the lawmakers, whether they show up, whether they, whether they seek out our opinion, that's up to them. The, 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 it's basically a, uh, a trust bill. Um, and it was created trusting that lawmakers who had these issues would seek out 
consultation from the uh, task force, but there's nothing that says they have to. I, I think and as you said, you can see the the committee. Nobody ever asked. Uh, well, does this have a FOI a change in it? And what did the task force say? Nobody ever asked. I think what you said, the uh, key word there was trust. It's, it's kind of a set up on a trust that, hey, you'll do this. And I'm one of those people that missed it because, you know, I I search and try to find that stuff. To, and, and, it, and it went by me as well. But I think it was by design to get by everybody. And that's the, that's the part that's concerning. I will say this, the state agency committee – when the uh, when bills are clear on their intent that they're there to amend for you, they did when State Representative Mary Bentley announced in the committee, they said, hey, did you take your bill before the task force was uh, a bill to change the open meetings? And she said no, but she was very honest. She said, you know, I don't have to. Right. And, and the, yeah. But yeah. the committee made very clear to her that, they really weren't going to take it up until they hear from the task force. Yeah, they they like the ability yeah. of hearing what the task force yeah. has to right. say about it. So I, I want to give credit to that committee. They did, they did say had had folks known that this provision was in there with everything that was going on before you, I think somebody would have said it. I think that the, it was designed to fly sure under the was. radar. Sure it was. And, and the other thing is is the. Well, as you know, the FOI, it's not. This isn't a political issue. Um, we have uh, we have conservatives, we have liberals, you know, Republican, Democrat, all across the board on the task force. Yes, politics is not the issue. We all want to make sure that the proposals, the amendments, are completely vetted. Um, and so, uh, it, politics is not the issue. And you know, there are some lawmakers who who are incredibly open to discussing with the task force. But then I've had others, when I called them and said, look, we'd like to schedule a meeting to uh, consider your proposal, they'll say why you're gonna reject it anyway. And I say, that's not true. Most of the proposals that come before us, we have no problem with. Um, so it's just, a, it, it's, it's really, it's up to the lawmakers. And the, if the lawmakers don't want to meet with us, that's up to them. I want to address something real quick because David Ray's bill, HB 1726, which was the bill that the attorney general came and supported, the the one we're talking about the most, that literally would have gutted for you. I want you to expand because David said some things that uh, on taking it to the task force that just really didn't line up. So can you tell us kind of what happened on that? Because he did not come before the task force, even though I, right. you guys discussed it. Tell us what happened there. Okay, what I want you to remember is early in the session, he did have a bill, and he, I invited him to the task force, and he did come to the task force. The bill that we're talking about now, which would have done massive, there would have been massive changes uh, to uh, the FOI. Also remember David Ray was, worked for, uh, the lieutenant governor Tim Griffin uh, in his office, um, and um, uh, so there is a, a connection there. Um, and we've been hearing throughout the session, task force members, that there was going to be a big bill coming, so we knew it. Um, unfortunately, it was a bill that was filed later in the session when they were already um, meeting committee meetings twice a day to try to get all their bills through to the floor. Um, filed on a Monday. Task forces, we, we discussed first meeting that we had in January 
that we would try to meet on Fridays after Joint Budget Committee Friday morning, so 10 or 11 o'clock, so the lawmakers would have the opportunity to attend our meeting and there wouldn't be any conflicts, uh, which we did most of the session. Uh, Representative Ray filed his bill on a Monday, um, and it was already on the Wednesday docket for the uh, uh, House committee. I called him and said, can we meet Tuesday? We, we really would like to discuss this bill. We can meet at, uh, I can't remember if it was 4 or 5 o'clock. Um, and he said, sure, I'll be, I'll be there then. I, so he had a committee meeting in the morning. Um, and uh, when he called me or texted me, I can't remember which, I think he called me, um, about noon that day and said he had planned on running a bill in the morning. He couldn't run it. Uh, because the the docket was busy, and he was going to run it in the afternoon meeting, so he wouldn't be able to make the task force meeting. That's what he said. So when the task force met later in the day, because we set this up the day before, as I said, we're all we all work, have other jobs, so it's sometimes very difficult to find a time for all the task force members to get together, then have to create an agenda, then have to notify the uh, you know 50 different people who have requested notification on when we're going to meet give them the Zoom address, and then get everything done. Um, and so I got to the task force meeting that afternoon and said, Representative um, uh, Dave Ray couldn't make it. And that's all I said, couldn't make it. Um, and so lawmakers, I told them uh, what lawmakers were, um, or not lawmakers, but the task force was, you know, that bills like this, this controversial, these many amendments, Lawmakers, uh, the task force would really like to hear the reasoning uh, behind these changes from the lawmaker who proposed the bill and um, wasn't there. So lawmakers had, or task force had read the bill and voted to reject it. And, you know, because he wasn't there, they just said, we really don't like this bill, uh, these proposals. Next day at the meeting, when it was proposed, when David Ray, Senator uh, Speaker Ray spoke, he basically said, it made some, I don't know. It was just not correct the way he described the way that the, the bill was presented and that he couldn't be there. Um, we gave him the opportunity. He agreed to it, um, couldn't make it, and that's what I told the committee, or the task force, he couldn't make it. I will tell you that if you noticed during the meeting, one of the committee members said the only people who are speaking against this bill are the people who, who will um, – uh, are the you know state government and lawmakers who will um, yeah benefit from it to get these bills to get these um, documents to the public. So many people spoke against that bill, not just the media. You had lawyers, you had civic groups, you had just individuals who came. It was just amazing the number of people outside of the media who spoke against uh, Representative Ray's bill, and ultimately it failed. All right, we're going to take another break, final break for this hour. We'll come back, finish up our conversation. I have uh, one final question that I have uh, for uh, the task force. For this, you know, We're using this gentleman as a spokesman for the task force. Uh, Rob, let me ask you, you, you were put on this committee through uh, the Association of, of uh, like Municipal People, right? No, I was. I was appointed by the uh, Senate pro temp. Okay. Well, let me let me ask this question uh, of you. Would anybody have a problem? I mean, do you guys ever talk to uh, people who are 
uh, elected officials about running bills. For instance, a bill that says, hey, any kind of, you know, material that you have that should be open to the public should just be put on the server so it's easy to be gotten to. Has anybody thought oh, about doing that? There have, yeah, there have been bills filed. Um, but uh, generally, the Municipal League or um, Association of Arkansas Counties um, uh, uh, questions those bills. I don't want to say that they oppose them. But I think they, they ultimately would support them. The problem is, is that, you know, we here in the central part of the state, um, a lot of the counties have the money, have the um, the internet, have the you know, the infrastructure to do that. Uh, there are still counties that just don't have enough money to put together a website and have all the the necessary infrastructure to upload all these these bills. Well, just recently there was a ahead. bill that got through, which you know for some counties um, uh, just tape their their meetings. Others. They, they videotape them. Um, some can't afford to videotape them. Some, not counties, but some smaller cities. So when you start making these grand mandates on how they should deal with public records, you got to remember that there are still counties that um, don't have the, the, the money, don't have the, 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 the Internet infrastructure, don't have the, um, the personnel to do all of that. Well, the internet, the internet infrastructure is coming. We're we're going to have broadband all across the state here in the next few years. They're working feverishly on that here in Arkansas. As far as money, I mean, I can make a pretty good case. I would think with this much of the billions of dollars that we've got in the savings account, that we can get the, en- enough uh, equipment that these people can have a website. Well. Um I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. You know, websites, but they just the whole. Do they have enough bandwidth? Do they have enough uh, storage? Uh, there's a lot of issues, and uh, so yeah, those have been discussed. Um, but as of now, um, the, it's not a mandate statewide. In fact, um, there have been studies done just about transparency, and and most of the counties do it. I'm, when I say you know, 75 counties. Probably 80, 90 percent do have um, information like that available. Now, going back, um, how how far back? Um, putting um, agendas online, school boards putting agendas online. Some school boards do it. Some still um, send them out by email. Some still, um, uh, you know, uh, they just make press releases. It's it's a mixed bag because we're not all yet on the same playing field when it comes to um, internet and technology. All right. Anything else, Jimmy? We're, we're closing up the hour here. Well, I think... But I do like your idea about with this billion-dollar-plus um, surplus. I like your idea. Yeah, I think I think it's something that can be obtained. I think it's a direction we need to go. Um, I would like to say that... that you know the the times that I've been involved with the four year task force in the, all the meetings I've been to, I'd like to point out that the task force has never looked to to limit information without good cause. Uh, as Rob was saying, uh, the water works. There's an exemption in for you for water systems and stuff. Well, that's to protect 
that's to protect the citizens and uh, from from cyber attacks or attacks on water systems and things like that. So we get that. But overall, as far as generally, the task force has been really good to, uh, to kind of hold a firm hold to not limit citizens' access. And uh, I just want to point out that the task force, to me, does a really good job uh, in that area. And what do you see in the future for the t- – real quick, Rob, we're, we're fixing to go, but what do you see in the future uh, for the task force? What's coming up? Well, first of all, I'm glad you talked about cyber because there were a couple of cyber bills that did get passed, which basically exempt information when it comes to uh, cybersecurity, state cybersecurity. But I think there's going to be more discussion on what constitutes a meeting, um, whether it be a quorum or a third or whatever. I also think that now we have uh, Senate Bill five or yeah five forty three uh, passed. I think a lot of other agencies. I mean, groups are going to come and want their um, uh, attorneys to go into executive session as well as board chairman. Um, and I think that's going to be an issue as well. All right. I appreciate your time. Thank you for making yourself available. We'll like to do this again in the future. All right. Back with you here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. I was just sharing something with, uh, with Jimmy. He thought it was funny. I guess I'd just share it with everybody. I, I guess got I would. A, it's I, funny. Yeah, I got a, a, a post from my uh, my niece, uh, from my uh, my uh, oldest brother, who has passed away, as you know, a couple of years ago from COVID. And she was talking about that she was driving down the road. It was her and her niece. And she was going 11 miles an hour over the speed limit. And a police officer pulled in back of her, hit his lights, and was going to pull her over. And what she did, and they pulled over. It was a nice spring day up in Indiana uh, where they live. They live up by Indiana Lake. And uh, just letting the air come in and stuff. And as the police officer was moving up, the Indiana State police officer was coming up, uh, her niece started screaming out, uh, I, I can't hold it any longer. It's starting to come out. I just can't hold it any longer. And the cop uh, came up and stuck his head in uh, the car, and, and he said, "What's what's going on here?" And he he looked at uh, he looked at the, the seven year old niece, and, and she said, "I I got poop coming out of my butt, and I can't hold it. I can't hold it any longer." And uh, and the uh, the police the state policeman started laughing, and said, "I'll tell you what, you get Miss Poopy." Well, he asked he asked my my niece if, if what uh, you know uh, she had uh, how far she had to go to the house about three miles and he said uh, well get Miss Poo Poo Butt to the house so she can finish her business and uh, uh, walked back to the car and, and drove on and they pulled back out on the road and and Beth looked back <laughs> at the and the little girl and said, what are you doing? He says, I saw it on YouTube. I thought I tried. I didn't think it worked. Now, you're not in trouble, and I'm not in trouble. <laughs> now, how, <laughs> how That's can funny. You, how can you argue that point? Yeah. I mean, seriously, you can't argue that point. Uh, Do you know how I many moms are putting that in their playbook now? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. I don't know. Blue lights come on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, hey, listen, son, start <laughs> talking about you got to poop. Yeah, whatever. But she evidently pulled it off, and 
She should got an, I guess, an Emmy or an Academy yeah, Award that, or that's something. Funny. Like that. That's but funny. But anyway, that uh, that w- that's what's going on. It was an interesting discussion over the last hour dealing with uh, this whole thing about uh, FOIA and hearing from this committee. I think some changes need to be made to the committee. I, I I'm I'm all about it being serving without pay and all of that, but I wish that the committee would get more. I don't want to say aggressive, but more politically active with uh, state representatives of how they know that FOIA could be made better and get people to run the necessary bills to do that. I, I, I agree, and I'm going to reach out, and I hadn't even told Rob this, but I'm going to reach out to the task force uh, in the next few days with some suggestions and to volunteer my time. Okay, I'm right. not asking if I'm going to – I want to make clear, hey, I've, I'll put skin in the game. And to to not just evaluate things that are performed, but for the task force to come up with ideas. Now, I got to call the Arkansas Broadcasters Association because I didn't know that we had a person uh, that was mm-hmm. on that task force. I want to know who yeah. it is. Yeah. And uh, 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 yeah. And and I think the four years become such a topic that people are starting. To, they're going, wait a minute. So they're starting to learn about four you. They're starting to engage in FOIA, and they see how important it is, especially since they've seen the attacks on it. And so it is important. Now, you brought up, you brought up a great idea that we've all talked about, that we all agree about, is getting more stuff online. Rob had uh, said that the smaller communities don't have the resources or the money to do it yet, or uh, that larger counties and cities do. But, you know... And there's a reluctance to mandate that. But I don't know because school districts in this state are mandated under Title VI to have a website. Right. So the smallest school districts in this state, and there are some small ones. I, I mentioned during the break, Bay School District. Where is that at? I don't even know. But, oh, you don't. <laughs> but it's a very it's tiny. Out there somewhere, huh? Yeah, at Bay School District. Because, uh, and you think about those tiny school districts. Um, they are required by the state to have a website. They're required to put state-required information on okay, there. Okay, so they keep it up to date. Yes, and so they're required to uh, have, I'll give you an example, all the personnel policies are required to be on the website electronically so the public can access them. Okay, uh, let me stop you because for folks to think that that's difficult to do, there are copiers that will take and copy a contract, for instance, and put it and download it into your uh, your website so that it can be accessed. It it doesn't take but a it's couple not, of seconds. It's not difficult. So if you, if you if you, if you tell me that the smallest school districts in the state of Arkansas can accomplish this under state mandate then there's no reason that small municipalities small counties can't i'll give you an example we were talking about lone oak county lone oak county uh lone county clerk does not have a website okay (laughs) and uh so much information could be put on that website that would alleviate for your request to the county clerk's office that you just go hey it's on the website here's the link now see i wish that i had rg hopper here right now because mm-hmm. he was part of the lono county quorum court yeah. and he always told me how 
how uh, thin their budget was. And, you know, if your budget is so thin that uh, you can't have that, you know, you can't have a, a computer or a website for stuff that you really need to have a, a website for, it's time to figure out how you're going to get the money for that. Well, it's, it's, it's you know, every household prioritizes. Okay. Well, same way in these budgets, you got to prioritize. I, I'm not going to argue with you, all right? Yeah. I, I exactly. That, okay, this is, in fact, I was just talking about this yesterday about one of my sons. Needs versus, versus wants. Yeah. And uh, he came to us and asked his mother. He never comes to me when he's going to ask for money. He, he went and asked his mom. He says, I need a couple hundred bucks because I've got to make my rent. And she said, you had a bunch of money. You just paid off your car and everything, and you got a bunch of money. And, and what, by the way, for, because of the way it's set up, she can see his account. He can see our account, which I'm not really pleased about, but he can. Uh, anyway, it it came down that uh, he bought himself a brand new computer for eighteen hundred bucks. And I'm saying, why is he buying a new computer for eighteen hundred dollars so he can play games and he can't pay two hundred dollars on his rent? Yeah. Haven't you, you? I said, I want you to have this conversation with him since he doesn't want to have it with me. I said, tell him the same thing I said to one of my other sons about 10 years ago over this exact same issue. I said, the Bank of Ellswick is closed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just, you just tell him that. And uh, she, she told him, and he says, well, he won't ask anymore. And I said, I know he won't because the Bank of Ellswick is it's closed. It's closed, yeah. That's, so, that's the way it is. You've got to learn. I mean, it goes with government. It goes with uh, our, our own finances. You've got to figure out what is the needs and what are the wants that well, you're spending your money on. Well, in, inherently, I, I hear so many government entities complain and whine about having to fill FOIA requests. Well, don't whine about it. Get efficient at it. Get yeah, better let, at it. Let me explain. This is what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, and that, that's what you hear. And uh, I say Cabot and Conway a lot, and I'm not picking on them. It's just they come to mind because of issues and stuff. So, uh, example, Conway School Board, they like to point out school board meetings uh, that they had this many for your requests and it cost this much money to fill them. And the only reason to point that out is because they are literally whining in public about having to follow the law. Yes. And but at the same time, my pushback to them say, "Hey, if I I can't believe you're going to complain about that because you're the same people that voted in January to give your superintendent a fifty-two thousand dollar raise." Mm-hmm. So the argument about it's a waste of taxpayer money and it's your taxpayer money being spent on this, but you don't. But you didn't want to talk about giving your superintendent a $52,000 a year raise. Yeah. Now, if you're going to lose your su- superintendent because of that, then maybe you need to lose your superintendent yeah, about it. Yeah, exactly. Because so, what is he making? So if you're, saying, if you're saying, well, we're thinking about taxpayers' money, that's the reason we're bringing up how much it costs on FOIA. No, that's not it. That's not it because you don't care about it's taxpayer how you're money. It's you're spending you, your money. Yeah. I, I agree. It's, I, I've always agreed with that. 
It's just like the people who come out, uh, like uh, the mayor of Little Rock or or Conway or whatever, and say we need to raise taxes for the police. Yeah. No, you don't. You you get plenty of money for the police. Make sure they have whatever they need to do to do their job in your budget. Then move on to the next uh, position. Prioritize. Yeah. Well. Yeah, everybody else has got to do it. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't say, "Hey, I got to have money to buy a new flat screen TV." And say, uh, you know what that means? That means that I got to figure out a way to cut back on my on my rent payment. That, no, I don't do that. No. I go, I I'll wait on buying the flat screen, uh, but I'm paying my rent first. Yeah, provide the services needed first and and the other thing is when we talk about the the law that requires that all the open meetings be recorded or videoed, and it's that's not a burden. And some I can people tell you it's it, not. It's not a burden. We're we're going to be streaming this show, all right, mm-hmm. and it's going to be cool when it all gets upset and done. They're working on it feverishly uh, after I get out of the studio because they're hoping to have this up running on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bottom line is is that. Sitting right in front of me, I've got I got four cameras, and uh, we've got a computer, and we've got a computer that uh, is going to switch to cameras and stuff. Now, I would have said maybe 25 years ago that would have been expensive. It would may have cost uh, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, but this system costs forty two hundred dollars yeah. to do it. And it's a nice. You want to tell me you got X amount of thousands of people in your county and you can't come up with forty two hundred bucks? I think you're lying to me. Yeah, every every quorum court, every city council, every school board has the ability to put a camera in there, and then you you live stream it, and it costs you nothing to do it on YouTube. Most most school districts have a YouTube channel. Most uh, cities have a YouTube channel that they. do their stuff on it because it doesn't cost anything. The guy, I don't know if his last name is Grape or Grapey or if it's French and it's Grape. I don't know how he pronounces his last name, so you know, give me a little bit of grace on that, all right? Uh, just know that he was speaking to reporters afterwards and all this, and he said he was so dejected yesterday <laughs> when he thought that they had not reached the amount of signatures that they needed that he considered not turning in the sec- uh, signatures to the Secretary of State's office as it would be a waste of taxpayers' dollars to get them counted. Uh, now, that was on uh, yesterday and Tuesday. Uh, uh, Grape said he regrets having to be so pessimistic. Quote, I had a defeated attitude. I was probably a terrible r- leader. But I've never done this before, and we really wanted to be transparent as we could. Tapes officials also said Monday they were short. They were short. They didn't say we might be short. They said we are short. Uh, They were short of meeting the state's new requirement of gathering signatures from 3,000 or 3 percent, pardon me, 3 percent of the people who voted in the last gubernatorial election in 50 counties. Act 236 raised the requirement from 15 counties to 50 counties, and officials said Monday they had reached the threshold in only 
48 counties, which I am doubting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say right too. up front yeah. that I doubt. And the 6,800 votes that they came, that they suddenly appeared yesterday, my question is, is did the DNC load up three or four people from Philadelphia and fly them here to Little Rock <laughs> yeah. to help them count? Yeah, you, you just no. This, this whole thing's unbelievable. Yeah, it it really is. It, it's and uh, it's going to be. I'm going to tell you, if they don't make it. I'll I'll be up. I'll be down there with Thurston, listening to him say you didn't make it. Well, let's and then listen to him. Listen uh, more crying. Here, here, yeah, it, that, that's it. I'm just. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's it's indicative of the far left wing woke liberals that's what they do and i just wanted to tell this guy what do you want some cheese with that wine i mean that's ridiculous but the question is i want to look at him and say okay which number which number is real man? yeah which number do we believe now yeah because we, that you pulled 6800 yeah. votes out your butt you you told us you do not have the numbers you counted them and you do not have the numbers and then the next day you would go oh wait a minute we do have them, and now we're sixty-eight hundred to the plus. I mean, I where mean, were they? they? They're talking about they got boxes with sticky notes on them. Come on, yeah. man! I did this before. I know what you got to do to make this happen, and I know how you got to have folders for each county, and you have the the votes in those, and how you got to check them and double check them and triple check right. them because people will sign a these things three four times you set up at walmart that's right that's what happened there's a lot of traffic set up at walmart and you'll say hey come over and sign the uh you know our uh, petition what's it about oh it's about uh the learns act and and how uh screwed up it is or whatever come over and sign it and they go over and they sign it going in then they come out and sign it again yeah. going out, and then maybe they sign it the next day going in, and they sign it again going out. Yeah. I know it happens. Well, I've sure watched it, it happen. Sure it does. Because yeah. we were talking about something even more serious than this, and that was you having to pay your first dollar on your food bill to the government. That's right. That's right. And, and so basically what he's telling us is that we cannot trust his numbers. No. No, and we can't. But the the thing is, I think what we're going to find out is if they say they got it, and the Secretary of State verifies everything, you know, if and when that happens, I'm going to predict we're going to find out that they are woefully short because so many of these names are going to be duplicates. Some of them are got, right, and some of them are not going to be valid. Some of them are going to be dead people. And they're going to say how <laughs> yeah. well dead people don't ever bother the Democrat. Yeah. No, on. no, it. Uh, but but they're going to be woefully short. My dad never voted for a Democrat up nor, uh, in the North until he died. Until he died. And, you know, all I of a sudden, tell he you became that. a Democrat, right? Yeah, he did. It just goes along with the territory up there by Chicago. And to be fair, it's not just we're – we're talking about a, a liberal left-wing organization that's trying to get these signatures. But let's also talk about the reality – is that this wouldn't matter if this was a conservative group or not. There's a process, and the Secretary of State's going to go through it. And, yep. if the, and if 
the names are not valid, they're going to get taken out. Conservatives can file a petition and they can say, hey, we got to have 55,000 signatures. Well, if they show up with 55,303, I can promise you when it's all said and done, there's going to be 10,000 that aren't valid. You've, and so it doesn't matter. It's not a partisan thing when the Secretary of State goes through to do this. Well, I'll tell you what. If they've just got over 55,000 signatures, and they got to have 54,000-something signatures. If they suddenly make this, it's going to be the cleanest petition drive I have ever seen in my yeah. life. But I still go back to they're trying to, they're trying to tell people that, hey, we were short. They're, not, they're, not, they're telling you, hey, we are short. We don't have the numbers. And then the next day after day they say, oh, listen, actually we've – got 6,800 more names than we thought. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not buying that. Well, our good friend Stephen Meeks is in the newspaper today. What's up with him? Co-chair of the Arkansas Legislative Joint Committee on Advanced Communications and Information Technology said that he would like to see a special session called to address issues stemming from digital asset mining, also known as crypto mining, in the state, and said that he has drafted legislation to set noise limits and address power grid concerns. Quote, I think it's risen to the level that I would be in support of a special session, State Representative Stephen Meeks of Greenbrier said. Meeks' remarks came after a nearly five-hour meeting Tuesday of his Advanced Communications Committee and the Joint Committee on Energy, which heard testimony from the Arkansas Blockchain Council's Tom Harford, Arkansas Secretary of Commerce Hugh McDonald, a representative of Intergy Arkansas and other members of state agencies related to cryptocurrency mining. In a phone interview following the committee meeting, Meek said he'd had meetings with members of Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' staff about the potential for a special session, but he said he had been told that the current view of the staff is that the mining issue is better handled at the local level, Act 851 of 2023, which went into effect yesterday, restricts local government's regulatory powers when it comes to uh, uh, digital asset mining businesses. The Arkansas Democrat uh, Gazette contacted Sanders' spokesperson for comment regarding a special session. Sanders was traveling to an Arkansas Learns Town Hall and Mountain Home and her spokesperson was unable to provide a comment Tuesday evening. Quote, several counties have passed ordinances to try and address these issues. Uh, the counties don't. Uh, they can do some enforcement, but they ultimately would not have the same enforcement capacity as the state does, Meek said, uh, adding that the state needs to take a greater regulatory role for digital asset mining. We'll we'll get back. Uh, we'll get Stephen Meeks back on the show next week. I'll call him and set him up, and hopefully get him to come into the studio so that you can see him, as we should be streaming by next Wednesday. Well, what was it? Two weeks ago, we actually did a show. We on had him. We talked to him about all in, this. Uh, <clears throat> uh, in uh, where we discussed the the issue in the effort to repeal the act, and. And I think what we've seen then is more more steam uh, gained in the direction, not necessarily to repeal the act, but to 
hey, we've actually got a problem here. Uh, I don't think the legislature, when they when they did this, had the intention of what has happened on limiting local government and everything and on this issue. Now, and I think they're realizing this, and I think uh, Representative Meeks is realizing this, and that's the goal to say, wait a minute, maybe we got out over our skis a little bit. We need to do something to rein this back in. It is a very hotbed issue in his district. Yeah, well, it's a hotbed yeah. issue everywhere. Right. Brian King has gotten involved in this. St. Senator Brian King, you've heard him here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He's from Green Forest. He's, he's worried about money laundering. State Senator Ricky Hill of Cabot, uh, the Senate's majority whip, said, from the tree-line view of what I see looking at this, banks have regulations that all have to follow and go by. Looking at this, it looks to me like this is an easy way to launder money. That is a concern along with the foreign entities being involved. And we, I don't want to just... We don't want to be one of those people that just constantly scream China, but China comes into play here. And the foreign entities that get involved in ownership of companies that are involved in this and ownership of land. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big subject that has really, really caused a lot of concern in this state, and rightfully so. Yeah, John Bethel, who's Energy uh, Arkansas's Director of Public Affairs, spoke uh, at this meeting noting that based on conversations he's had, all cryptocurrency mining operations in the state, to his knowledge, were Entergy customers. Uh, Bethel said that the rate schedule passed by the Arkansas Public Service Commission for digital asset mining customers created service that, quote, was interruptible, meaning that the utility company could tell the mining business to shut off their power if supplies became strained in order to provide for other customers. So there's a lot of questions out there. A lot of questions. <laughs> and uh, the legislature is trying to catch up with well, the information. I'm trying to remember, gosh, and I'm, I think it's Representative McFarland. Uh, we got a statement from him on the show we did, and he was the sponsor of that bill. And even he said, hey, the, you know, there's some things there's that a lot of questions yeah, here. That bill that we probably didn't think of that we need to look at, and uh, and gave great credit for him for putting that in the statement. So, and yeah, and Senator King was one of the first. Uh, Brian King was one of the first to come out and say, "Hey, we need to look at repealing this act." And like I say, to uh, Representative Meeks' credit, he is taking the bull by the horns on a lead on this, and is has put a little, a lot of time in it, going. Hey, maybe we got out over our skis. Well, maybe we can get several of these people on at the same time. We'll yeah. see if that can be arranged here uh, for the Dave Ellswick Show. But know that they are really talking about this. Oh, yeah. And I'll, 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 I won't guarantee, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll talk to Stephen Meeks, and he's a friend of the show, and I would think that he probably will make himself available. Proposed and what they're pushing and still pushing is to – make more information exempt in other words they want to take information that now you can get and make it exempt and the information that's not ex that they they're going to leave non-exempt they want to put in a place to where they can ch charge you for the information and it's set up to where t 
to it's going to be so expensive the average person's not going to be able to do it so in essence what they're doing is taking your freedom away that you now have to gain this information and taking it away and that's that's the hard part i find because uh so many so many organizations have ranked uh david ray and uh, state representative david ray and state representative mary bentley is very strong conservatives on legislation and most of that legislation is uh going to be in government spending and programs and things like that uh attorney general Tim, tim griffin has always been talked about as a strong conservative that's why it's so shocking that these three uh in uh state senator brianna davis out of russville are really going after FOIA because there's nothing conservative and I want about to know, that. I want to know why. No. I've never, I've never heard a really good reason why. Uh, I've been talking to David Ray, and I hope I'll, I'll send him a a text and see if we can't get him set up uh, for next week on Tuesday or, or Thursday or something like that. Are you ready for this? Joseph Flaherty wrote an article today. Oh, in didn't. the paper, and I it, I missed it, and now I want to bring it to you. What's are Joe you, saying today? Are, well, Little Rock officials are going to hold seven public meetings later this month on a proposed sales tax increase ahead of an early September deadline to call a fall referendum. King Scott, King Frank, again wants to ha- wants to raise. The sales tax in Arkansas. He doesn't give. I'll give him credit. He doesn't give up. No, and you know when he did this before, uh, before the last election, it got voted down and significantly. Significantly, and when he, as soon as he got reelected, he started talking about it, and it's been proposed. And I mean, he, he's going for it, and it is something that hopefully you know in the next week or the couple of weeks we'll get uh, maybe Lance Hine or some people on to come talk about it. Or yeah, we'll do it sometime this month because they're going to have seven meetings yeah. this month. And the the people of Little Rock clearly <laughs> didn't, didn't want this. And I think what King Frank is going to find out is while they the, the majority of people who voted in the election wanted a liberal mayor they don't want new taxes and so i think he's misconstruing that he was reelected as a referendum for him to increase taxes yeah and let's run let's happen. run over this in the past all right yeah. back in 2020 he called off an early stage push for a sales tax increase amid the start of the covid19 pandemic in a september 2021 special election Sixty-two percent of those who came out to vote in it uh, rejected yeah. the proposed increase that would have added a net five-eighths of a percent to the local rate. During the working session last week, Smith initially said his proposed increase would sunset after 10 years, but after listening to city uh, board members' comments, he said it likely would be made permanent. The latest proposal from Scott would add 1% to the current local rate of 1.125%. Ah, but that's the local rate. Let us add in the state rate Mm -hmm. and everybody else. 
and if approved, the overall rate on most purchases in Little Rock would go up to 9.625%. Mm-hmm. That means when you bought something here in the in the city, add 10% to That's it, right. just on taxes. That's right. Just on taxes. And and don't and, and know that it's even worse if you buy a mixed drink. Oh yeah, a lot worse. <laughs> it's <laughs> worse than what do you get on Manhattan? You get a Manhattan from uh, Manhattan. It's cheaper than getting a Manhattan here in Little Rock. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> it really is. But you know what you what you said about him is true. Now that's it's you know it's no news that how I feel about King Frank and. But you're right. Is he does not give a. He is persistent on it, and he's gonna. He's coming at it again. Okay, now let's run over this. All right, the largest portion of the proposed spending, fifty-five percent, would fund the category of parks and quality of life, uh, including items such as a new indoor/outdoor youth sports complex at War Memorial Park, a new 15-acre downtown park, and $30 million in new operating expenses at the Arkansas Museum of Fine Arts. With $115.75 million in capital investment and operating expenses over 10 years, the category of public infrastructure would get the second largest share of the money, followed by public safety, with $65.25 million in operating expenses. And I'm sure that's not to buy and pay for more police officers. That's to pay for more social workers oh, yeah. that they want to bring in. Scott is seeking a November 14th referendum on the uh, proposal. Now, here's what I like about it. No more special elections. They're dead, gone. They're like the dodo bird. They don't exist any longer. Thankfully. And uh, we can thank David Ray for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give he him persevered on that. He sure did. And did that. Uh, so this is when it's, it's got to come up on the next election mm-hmm. that we hold here in the city. Uh, this is, uh, but in order to trigger the vote, the city board must call the election no later than September 5th. Some city board members on Thursday expressed concerns about the tight time frame signing the prospect of lackluster citizen participation now all these meetings are scheduled at 6 p.m on august 14th at the unitarian universalist church 1818 reservoir august 16th second baptist church downtown 222 east 8th street august 21st antioch missionary baptist church 5300 Stagecoach Road, August 23rd, Southwest Community Center, 6401 Baseline Road, August 24th, the Center at University Park, 6401 West 12th Street, Ward 6, August 28th, the Fellowship Bible Church West Entrance, 1401 Kirk Road, and on August 30th, Christ Little Rock Church, 315 South Hughes Street, that's for Ward 3. Remember, all of those meetings, again, are at 6 p.m. And maybe you can talk him off of his, off of, uh, you know, his chair that he is standing on, teetering on, with the noose around his neck uh, for the mayor and tell him this is not a good time to ask for more money 
with inflation the way it has been. No, no, with the, with the way it's going. But he his mindset is, you know, he doesn't care. He, he, we he need ha- more parks. That's what he says. We need more parks. Well, by the same token, when he first came in, he took a lot of the parks away. And so, I mean, it's just... Uh, we got all that area there that uh, is War Memorial Park. We need to develop it. Yeah. Why okay. don't you sell off the land and maybe people would develop businesses on well, it? Well, you had a park. You had a golf course there, hence the name War Memorial Park. Yeah. And then you cut all the funding for it. Yeah. So now you want to raise taxes to put in a park. Yeah. I mean, a just, better park. It just doesn't make any sense. A better I mean. park. And then all kinds of infrastructure that... Here's when you know they haven't thought it through. If you ask him what the infrastructure will be that they're going to fix, they're going to look at you, and here's what you'll hear. You'll hear crickets. Yeah. Because they don't know what they really want to no. fix. What, you, clue. what he wants is money. That, that, yeah, he and wants he your said, money. Give me the money, and then I'll decide and how to spend it. he wants it over a period right now. He thought he was going to sunset it 10 years. Now he's being honest about yeah. it, at least. Let's do yeah. that. Look, DNA, D- Democrat DNA runs through Frank Scott's veins, man. And taxation is his answer. And that's exactly what he's going to be running on, taxation. Come on, you can pay you can pay another penny on everything you buy. Oh, and he'll he'll frame it in that that tone, and you know. But the one thing it's only a penny. The one thing that's a constant that we know: once you give Democrats money, they're never going to give it back. Mm. Of course not. You know, I mean, there. It. Uh, I, I. I don't see this happening. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he can. He's gonna. He's gonna do everything he can to sell it. And I go back to deal. The the majority of voters in Little Rock. The reality is this: they wanted an extremely liberal mayor. They so, got him again. Yeah, they got him. But the same people that wanted that extremely liberal mayor are the 62 percent that said no to the sales tax. That's referendum. right. They're liberal until you reach into their wallet. Yeah. So. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This last election uh, had a had a had a black Democrat run against Frank Scott. Okay, Frank Scott would not be mayor right now. Well, we'll never know. Yeah, but am I making sense though? Because <laughs> well, yeah, that, you make sense. I mean, we talked about it through the whole mayor yeah, race. So I, I think he thinks that he's got all this backing, and I don't think he has the backing. That he believes he has, they the folks just said, "Look, we have a choice between uh, a, a a centrist in Steve Landers or a a black liberal Democrat that we know is corrupt and does all this stuff." And they chose, and we don't care, and we don't care. That doesn't mean they're going to give you money, Frank. All right. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.